0: It was like, let me on the mic, daddy Daddy, let me on the mic I want to speak to our listeners, daddy Rubbing her head up against it and shit like cats will do Sad day for America here It's, uh, recording this on June 24th 2022, petting my cat You know, um, people walk around this country The United States of America Hands in their pockets, not giving a fucking shit about anything ever. You know those people. Well, well, I I don't vote vote because my vote doesn't matter. Well now, well now it does. See, because if you had voted right in 2016, you wouldn't have gotten beady-eyed Amy Cohen Barrett on the on the on the uh, bench. The naked mole rat woman. It's a naked mole rat who wears a wig, and she's got like nine children, and she's like, "I'm, I'm a good Christian. I got all these kids, and I'm a, I'm a rat woman, and I don't think women should have rights, which is weird. I know, but I am confused." And fucking frat boy Brett Kavanaugh, alleged rapist. I mean, who on the Supreme Court isn't? But you know that bro. When you got a bro and a fucking mole rat, this is the kind of shit that happens. Start moving. Start moving to states where you still have rights. You know it's gonna come down to the states. Get in your car. If you live in Alabama, if you live in Kansas, if you live in those places on this globe that uh, that don't uh, that don't care about minorities, don't care about women. Get in your car. Start that baby up. Head to Vermont, head to New Hampshire, live free or die. You know what I mean, baby? Are we still there? Is this one of our poems or what is this? Is this a political rant? I hate getting political, but sometimes it just pisses me off. Because the thing about abortions in this country is rich white women who look like Mrs. Howell from Gilligan's Island in her youth will still be able to travel to whatever state they need to. To get proper healthcare. To have the abortion done uh to done to be done right. Meanwhile, minorities Uh can't afford to. You know? Minorities. Poor. The poor and the minorities. That's who we're always shitting on in this fucking country. Let me put my boot on your neck till it actually fucking snaps. And then uh by the way, you have to have you have to have this child, but once that sucker comes out, we're not gonna don't we're not giving you shit. We're not gonna have we're not gonna have paid for daycares. Like Richard Nixon promised us. We're not gonna have shit. Nixon, we've come to an age in America where fucking Richard Nixon seems like a liberal a liberal hope. He said, I don't think the women I think the women should just they should have uh, paid for family leave and health care. Fucking Nixon. And well, now where are we? How do we regress from Nixon? How do we get more conservative, more stupid, more shitty since Richard fucking Nixon? Where are we? Who are we? Jesus Christ. Speaking of Nixon, I went uh, in Wilkes-Barre in 1972. There was a horrible flood. Agnes. And basically, if you live here, that's all anyone talks about. Uh, You know, I've been, as you know, I've been a bartender for many a year. And uh, every old guy has an Agnes story. Well, they'll say, I was at the water's edge. I was in a boat. One guy told me that when the Main Street flooded, his grandfather got in his boat. He said, come on, get in the boat. So the kid gets in the boat with the grandfather. They sail down Main Street, Edwardsville, which is just a, uh, uh, kaleidoscope of, of bars and regret and the liquor bottles of course float to the top of the uh, of the water and they pick them up and stuff so he brings them back to the top of the hill and the people of Edwardsville came to his house to drink I've heard that story a man told me that he was uh, his mom was helicoptered to the hospital during Agnes because she was pregnant a good man he's 50 years old it checks out it's the 50th uh, anniversary of agnes my father survived on a baby mattress put a put a put a cup of grape juice down on the table the flood came the waters raged the grape juice floated up and floated right back down on top of the table but uh, so the do- they had a documentary last night uh, 50 years called agnes it was uh, locally produced here in Wilkesbury. but better than you think pretty good um narrated well shot well put together well uh but 1800 people showed up at the kirby center and uh the councilman this councilman we got here tony brooks he's like uh he's like this uh gay historian who wears a suit everywhere And i don't mean that he's like as like a derogatory gay thing he's actually a homosexual engages in relationships with men but he wears this blue suit and he and he runs the historical society and uh Actually, he's trying to get a book published at the local library that uh, it, that it's going to be it's gonna be about local history. And uh, they want, they're want interviewing writers to uh, write this book about Little Tony Brooks, L-I-L, apostrophe. Little Tony Brooks explores books. I mean, this city is fucking insane anyway. But you know how I got beef with the mayor because of the Agnes thing? Uh, not because of the Agnes, but at the Agnes thing, the mayor's there in the middle of the audience. And I'm sitting there and they're going, please take your seats. Please take your seats. And who's fucking standing? Who refuses to sit but the mayor? It's like, you are included, and in please take your seats. You didn't make the movie. It felt like half the people there made the movie. There were sponsors, uh, prominent lawyers in the area that are getting, like, applause. It was crazy. It was wild. It was, very, it was a very Wixperian thing uh, to watch and to see. But Nixon was in that movie, too. He showed up, and he's like, you guys are doing great. You're doing fucking great. You're rebuilding your city. But the whole time they wouldn't give us any federal aid or whatever. It was the worst natural it was the worst natural disaster. This Agnes was the worst national disaster in American history up to that point. It cost a billion dollars to rebuild Wooksbury. And you wouldn't even know where they spent the money if you were here today. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what else happened to me? Hey, I went to Sonic. The Sonic reopened in town. It's been a good week for Wooksbury. We premiered a documentary. Our Sonic reopened. And today I went to the Sonic. Uh, I sat there and I ordered a, I ordered a hot dog and a and, a, and I said, "I have a hot dog and a Coke." She goes, "Our Coke, and our Dr Pepper, is down." I said, "All right, give me a Barks, give me a Barks root beer." She said, "Oh, a Barks? Okay." Like it was like flirty almost, like, "Oh, you want a Barks? Okay, baby, I'll get you a Barks." And then the lady came by my car and she gave me a thumbs up. I gave her a thumbs up back. Like, and she was mouthed like, "Is it good? Does it taste good?" I was like, "Yeah, it tastes good, you know." But that was like a nice moment. It's nice when people, when when you're just out there in the world and, and there's a nice, pleasant interaction. It doesn't happen too often. I try to I try to uh, uh, to be out there and bang out a few every every week or so, a few home runs with small interactions. You 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 uh, are Coke and Dr Pepper's down, all the barks. Oh, you want a box, baby? Okay, Hey, maybe at this end of this episode, I'll tell you what happened with Phil in the soccer shirt, remember? Uh, Today on What Are Poems, weird intro, Uh, we're going to do Marianne Moore. She's from Missouri. Missouri. Uh, She's a big fan of the Presbyterian Church. She's a modernist poet. And her middle name's Craig. (laughs) Hey, we'll be back. Can I tell you something? I remember once, this is a... This is how I see Amy Cohen Barrett. Amy Cohen Barrett. This is how I see her. When I was in elementary school, I was playing a game of Heads Up 7-Up. I'm sure you remember it. You put your head on the desk, you put your thumb up, and someone put your finger down, and then you got to guess who it was that got up and put your finger down. It's called Heads Up 7-Up. Am I describing it correctly? It was the shit. It is what you waited for all week long. And it wasn't even happening weekly. It was like you would wake up on Monday and say, maybe this week we'll play Heads Up 7-Up. So I um, have never admitted this. It's a bit of a scandal. But I would scoot back in the desk a little bit, put my thumb up, stare at the floor, and get a look at the person's shoes. And then I could kind of figure out who it was. So one time, I was sitting there playing Heads Up 7-Up. I dropped my arm, and I had a hard bit of nonsense in my nose, which I had to pick. And this psychopath comes by, ducks her head underneath my desk, and looks up at me to catch me picking my nose, and then yells... Jake's picking his nose. It's like, what are you doing under here, lady? The area between desk and man's knee is sacred. You can't just be peeking in there, catching me in my in my moment of uh, my moment of turmoil, my moment of of pain. But there she was, her little head, her little uh, her little beady eyes, just like Amy Cohen Barrett. That's the type she was. I saw her at a bar years later. She said, oh, my God, how are you, Jake? And I thought to myself, hey, don't fucking talk to me. You blew me up during Heads Up 7-Up 30 years ago. Said I was picking my nose. Now everyone knows I pick my nose. but Everyone picks their nose. Let's not pretend people don't. It's not uncouth. It's a hole in your face where there's stuff. Sometimes you got to get that stuff out. I'm taking the hard line here. At least as a child, you don't know. You don't know as a child. Children know nothing. Children are small-brained, little versions of ourselves who can't drive or drink from large glasses without dropping them on the floor. That's why I'll never have them. Anyway, that was my hot take on Amy Cohen Barrett and the kind of person I think she is. I think she'd be similar to that girl who uh, got my business during Heads Up 7-Up. Marianne Moore. You know her? Marianne Craig. Marianne Craig more she was an american modernist poet critic translator and editor her poetry is noted for formal precise diction irony and wit wit Moore was born in kirkwood missouri um in a Presbyterian Church, where her maternal grandfather, John Riddle Warner, served as the pastor. Her father, John Milton Moore, a mechanical engineer and inventor, suffered a psychotic episode as a consequence of which her parents separated before she was born. Moore never met him. This happens a lot with poets' uh, fathers. They go nuts. What's, what's with that? Maybe there's something in the blood, in the genetic makeup, uh, the genealogy, if you will. Um... That if your parents are lunatics, you're gonna be a, a better poet. If they have a psychotic break. Well, what's a psychotic break look like in 1887? I mean, they don't even know that like like it's a small town, it's Kirkwood, Missouri, for Christ's sake. There's one guy, this poor guy, John Milton Moore, mechanical engineer, he's an inventor, and he loses his mind one night. No one knows how to deal with that. There's no services. They just they just like walk around and say, I think he's got the madness. I think John Milton Moore's got the madness. And then, you know, John Riddle Warner, the Presbyterian church, they all have three names. John Warner Moore, John Warner Moore, no, yes, John Riddle Warner, he, uh, he's probably like, no, daughter of mine, we'll be, will be kissing and, and, and being frank with that mechanical engineer and inventor who, who suffered a psychotic break. You will be separated and you will raise a daughter alone here in the Presbyterian church. That's my uh, end scene. That's my impression of what happened there. Uh, So she and her elder brother, John Warnermore, more than three names, uh, they were reared only by their mother, Mary Warnermore. The family wrote voluminous letters to one another throughout their lives, often addressing each other with playful nicknames and using private language. So they're inside joke people. You like that, inside joke people? I do. I can't think of any any inside jokes I have, and what's the point of telling them? Cause you wouldn't get them. That's how, but see how that made you feel? That's how they are. So I don't really like them, too. I guess inside jokes are a double-edged sword, depending on if you're on the inside or the outside. I hate to get philosophical with you here today, but that's 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 a uh, boy. If I could speak clearly, imagine how successful this podcast would be. If I could get through a sentence without stuttering like a fucking whipple, whipple, will, whipple will, you know. Like her mother and her elder brother, Moore remained a devoted Presbyterian strongly influenced by her grandfather. Approaching her Christian faith as a lesson in strength, vindicated through trials and temptations, her poems often deal with the themes of strength and adversity. She thought it was not possible to live without religious faith. Moore lived in the St. Louis area until she was six. After her grandfather died in 1894, the three strayed with relatives near Pittsburgh for two years. Then they moved to Carlisle, Pennsylvania, where her Mother found employment teaching English in a private girl's school. Moore entered Bryn Mawr College in 1905. Bryn Mawr famous for I think everyone's a lesbian at Bryn Mawr. I had a friend who went to Bryn Mawr, then she moved to France. So I'm sure she's eating bread and dating women. But that's like a thing. That's not even I, I feel like I'm being uh like a bigot here during Pride Month. But that's a thing. If people at Bryn Mawr know that they're lesbians. I'm not like I'm not, I'm not throwing that out there at first. Like if you asked people at Bryn Mawr, what's Bryn Mawr known for? They'd be like, "Oh, we're we're all lesbians here." I love lesbians. She was graduated four years later. She graduated four years later with an A.B. having major in history, economics, and political science. The poet H.D. we know her was among her classmates during their freshman year at Bryn Mawr. Moore started writing short stories and poems, the campus literary magazine, and decided to become a writer. After graduation, she worked briefly at the Lake Placid Club, then taught business subjects at the Carlisle Indian Industrial School from 1911 to 1914. The Carlisle Indian Industrial School in Carlisle, Pennsylvania was a flagship Indian boarding school in the United States from 1879 through 18, 1918. Uh, I took over the historic Carlisle Barracks, which were transferred to the Department of Interior from the War Department. And uh, basically, that's like um, a assimil- assimil- assimilation, for uh, Native American children, trying to make, trying to make them lose their lose their uh, lose their uh, customs, their culture. Try to take all that away and make them make them white as wonder bread. Uh, that was the plan that the American government. Say the American government always sucked. That's the running theme here on what our poems today. Screw the government and what they're doing here. They're not assimilating assimilating Indians. Native Americans, what are they doing? They're taking women's rights away. Let's give them rights for for about uh, 60 years, and then we'll take them back. We'll take them back. no, No, no takey-backies. American government. Moore's first professionally published poems appeared in the um, Egoist and Poetry in the spring of 1915. Harriet Monroe, the editor of the Later, would describe her, them in a, her biography as possessing A Musical Profundity. Man, everyone talks better back then, don't they? In 1916, Moore moved with her mother to New Jersey, a community with commuting transportation to Manhattan. Two years later, the two moved to New York City's Greenwich Village, where Moore socialized with many avant-garde artists, especially those associated with Others Magazine. Uh, These include the evil Ezra Pound, our buddy William Carlos Williams, uh, Manic Pixie Dream Girl, H.D., T.S. Eliot, and later Wallace Stevens. Moore's first book, Poems, was published without her permission in 1921 by Images Poet H.D. and H.D.'s partner. Uh, Moore's later poetry shows some influence on the Images Principle. So H.D. says, Hey, uh, Marianne Moore wrote a book. I'm going to publish it on the sly. Her second book, Observations, won the Dial Award in 1924. She worked part-time as a librarian during these years. Then from 1925 to 1929, she edited the Dial Magazine. You know... A note on librarians and libraries and the importance of libraries. When I was watching that Agnes Flood documentary, the only time I heard people gasp, and it was horrifying to see what happened to wilkes and all that, but the only time I, I heard an audible gasp in the audience was when they showed uh, the library here in town and all the destroyed books outside. So I think it's kind of profound that books still possess something in the American consciousness. They mean something to see the books destroyed, the pages wet, never to be read again, that tomb of knowledge and imagination, uh, destitute desi- uh, on the ground there, made people gas. And librarians, I just saw a thing where, you know, a guy needs a job, so he goes to the library, and he can have a meeting on a computer at the library, and he can get the job, and the library can help him do all this stuff. We need them, they're the engines... They're the engines of, uh, of innovation in a lot of ways in America. I remember going to... Uh, the Philadelphia has a great library system. And I remember uh, their, their main library there by the boulevard. It's really cool. You know, If you have a chance, go to Philly, go to a library. That's my suggestion. Or go to the Ghostbusters library in uh, New York. Check that out. That's fun. Go to a library. Be, get a book of poetry. Be better than those people that we've elected... To take away our rights, we who we never elected. We don't elect the Supreme Court. We elect a man who then chooses people, and then they decide if we have rights or not. That doesn't make much sense, does it? Huh. Uh, this position in the literary and arts community extended her influence as an arbiter of modernist tastes. Much later, she encouraged promising young poets like Allen Ginsberg and James Merrill. When the Dial ceased publication in 1929, she moved to 260 Cumberland Street in the Fort Green neighborhood of Brooklyn, where she remained for 36 years. She continued to write while caring for her ailing mother, who died in 1947 for nine years before and after her mother's death, Moore translated the fables of La Fontaine. In 1933, Moore was awarded the Helen Hare Levison Prize for Poetry Magazine. In 1951, her collective poems won the National Book Award, the Pulitzer Prize. And the Bullingdon Prize. Does it really matter if you get the Bullingdon Prize, if you get the Pulitzer Prize? I don't know. In the book's introduction, T.S. Eliot wrote, My conviction has remained unchanged for the last 14 years that Miss Moore's poems form part of the small body of in-life, uh, part of body of durable poetry written in our time. After years of seclusion, she emerged as a celebrity, speaking at college campuses around the country and appearing in photographic essays for Life & Look magazines. Moore became a member of the American Cat Academy of Arts and Letters in 1955 and was elected fellow of the American Academy of Arts and Sciences in 1962. She moves to Manhattan, then she moves back to Greenwich Village. She's moving all over New York. Uh, she threw out the first ball uh, to open the season of Yankee Stadium in 1968. Um, She was a known baseball fan, first the Brooklyn Dodgers and then the Yankees. She then suffers a series of strokes in her last year. She dies in 1972, and her ashes were interred with those of her mother at the family's burial plot at the Evergreen Cemetery in Gettysburg, PA, Pennsylvania. By the time of her death, she had received many honorary degrees and virtually every honor available to American poet. The New York Times printed a full-page obituary in 1996. She was inducted into the St. Louis Walk of Fame. She corresponds with that dirtbag piece of shit Ezra Pound from 1918 and visited him regularly during his incarceration at St. Elizabeth. She opposed Benito Mussolini and fascism from the start and objected to Pound's anti-Semitism. Moore was a Republican and supported old Herbert Hoover in 28 and 32. She was a lifelong ally and friend of American poet Wallace Stevens. Um, And she... uh, Corresponded with much other people in 1990. 1955, Moore was invited informally by David Wallace, manager of the marketing research of Ford's E-Car project, and his co-worker Bob Young to suggest a name for a car. Wallace's rationale was, "Who better to understand the nature of words than poets?" In October of 1955, Moore was approached to submit inspirational names for the E-Car, and on, on November 7th, she offered her list of names, which included such notables as the Resilient Bullet, Ford Silver Sword, Mongoose Savik. Varsity Stroke, Pastelgram. And on December 8th, she submitted her last and most famous name, Utopian Turtletop. The E-car was christened by Ford as the freaking Etzel, Named after Etzel Ford, who Henry Ford was very mean to. You want to ever see anything about uh, Henry Ford being a dick? Read his relationship with his son. It'll make you sick. Hey, we come back a little bit about her poetic style. I'll read a few poems for her. And we'll head out this week on What Are Poems... And uh, hopefully next week's better for America. So here's Marianne Moore's jam. She's like us, folks. Well, like me. Uh, her most famous poem is poem Poetry. And in it, she says imaginary gardens with real toads in them. That's what she wants poets to produce. Imaginary gardens with real toads in them. Um, so meter, all that shit. She doesn't really care about it. It's not important to her. She just delights in language. And precise, heartfelt expression in any form. Um, her meter's radically separate from the English tradition. And uh, basically uh, big, big into free verse. And she was encouraged thereby to try previously unusual meters. So uh, shall we uh, dive into the Marianne Moore poem poetry? Here it is. I, too dislike it there are things that are important beyond all this fiddle reading it however with a perfect contempt for it one discovers that there is in it after all a place for the genuine hands that can grasp eyes that can dilate hair that can rise if it must these things are important not because a high sounding interpretation can be put upon them but because they are useful When they become so derivative as to become unintelligible. The same thing may be said for all of us. That we do not admire what we cannot understand. The bat holding on upside down or in a quest of some thing to do. Eat elephants pushing. A wild horse taking a roll. A tireless wolf under a tree. The immovable critic twitching his skin like a horse that feels a flea. The bass... Ball fan the case after case would be cited did one wish it nor is it valid to discriminate against business documents and school books all these phenomena are important one must take distinction however when dragged into prominence by half poets the result is not poetry nor till the autocrats among us can be Literist of the imagination, above insolence and triviality, and can present for inspection imaginary gardens with real toads in to them. Shall we have it? In the meantime, if you demand, on one hand, in defiance of their opinion, the raw material of poetry in all its rawness, and that which is, on the other hand, genuine, then you're not interested in poetry. Hey, Marianne Moore kind of summing up the whole goddamn podcast. Thank you, Marianne. That's what I've been trying to say about poetry, I think. (laughs) Hey, she's also a big uh, uh, suffrage lady. She's involved in the American suffrage movement, starting in her university years at Bryn Mawr from 1905 to 1909. During this time the American suffrage movement, Anna Howard Shaw had taken over as president, um, which started the practice of suffrage parades. So she was marching in parades. So she's a woman. She's a poet. She's Marianne Moore. And uh, I like her whole thoughts on poetry. Imaginary gardens with real toads. Well, that's another one of the books, folks. Um, Sorry if I was all over the place. Sorry if I offended any lesbians today. That's what I say every night before I go to bed. I lay down, I close my eyes, and I whisper, sorry if I offended any lesbians today. And Sarah says, shh, quiet, go to sleep. And I say, peace and love, peace and love. Beef Jackie. Uh, Quick little added note here. You could spit your own poems to the podcast at whatarepoemspodcast at gmail.com.